leading us today. Thanks, you guys. You're going to be seeing plenty more of them this morning as we take communion together and do all those things. So let me ask you this. How much do you think it would take for you and I to have enough money? Remarkably, studies show that most people, regardless of their income, answer the question the same way. What people say is they need about 10% more to feel comfortable. That's what most people say, 10% more to feel comfortable. 10%, that's what will make a difference. You know, this is people that whether they make 30,000, whether they make 60,000, 200,000, they make even a million a year. Everybody pretty much says the same thing. 10% more is what we want. Now, when people are asked that same question over time, this professor uh, at Loyola Marymount University reports that when they do get that 10%, this usually takes a little couple years. They do get that 10% over a course of time. What do you think they say then? Just 10% more, and I will have all that I want and all that I need. Never, never fails. Well, this morning, as we continue on with our summer series entitled Back to the Basics, where we're talking about such as some of the real topics that are fundamental to the Christian faith. This morning, we are going to talk about what everybody loves, what every pastor loves to talk about in church, (laughs) money, (laughs) money and wealth. And I say that very tongue-in-cheek because we do not like to talk about it very often, mainly just because a lot of perceptions that the public has about pastors, churches, and money and things like that. So my hope is this morning that I want to encourage you as we dive into God's word this morning and we look at what he says about wealth and about money, that you would be open to what the spirit of God would be teaching you about wealth, about money, about possessions, about gifts, talents, all those things that we're going to uh, talk about. So we're going to take a look at the biblical perspective of wealth and what really as followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us that our attitude should be concerning wealth. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The words will be up on the screen also. But in this section, just so you know, a little context, what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he's warning his young pastor friend that, hey, you know what? In the town that you're in, in Ephesus, where you're at and where you're ministering in this church, there are some false teachers. They're, they're coming up. I've heard word that there are, fault, there are these false teachers, and they're kind of passing themselves off as godly so that people would say, hey, we really like what you're doing, and they would come alongside them and financially support them. Okay, For them, for these false teachers, godliness was a means of financial gain. You'll actually see that in the verse prior to what we're going to look to. We're going to start in verse 6, but in verse 5, talks about how they felt like godliness equaled great gain or financial gain. But what Paul does in this passage is he actually takes this idea of what the false teachers saw as gain or what they saw as wealth. And he, the cool thing is he uses this like only Paul could do. He uses it as an opportunity to, to teach them what true gain really is, what true wealth really is. And he starts off really by giving us a definition of true gain or wealth. And he uses the first three verses we're going to look at. Look at verses 6 through 8. They say this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, 
With these, we will be content. So Paul, Paul jumps in right away here. He gets right to it. He says, true gain or true wealth is godliness with contentment. Now, what you understand here that godliness, when he says godly, doesn't mean like this uber, like Christian person that's just all spiritual, never does anything wrong. What he's saying here is this means, what it means is being devoted. It simply means being devoted to having an attitude or a life that is pleasing to God. Let me say that again. Godliness is being devoted to having an attitude and a life that is pleasing to God. Now, to emphasize his point, what Paul does, or I don't know if you noticed it or not, he says that godliness, when they said godly, they said content, uh, godliness is gain. That's what they said. He goes on to say godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. So he's kind of turning this on his head. What he's doing here is taking these false teachers' distorted view of godliness being equated with financial gain, and he's taking the meaning of gain, and he's bringing it to a much higher level. He's saying, no, that's not gain. Let me tell you what gain really is. Okay? You see, these, what these false teachers were doing is they were essentially teaching that to be content in this life, to truly, really be happy in this life means that you need to, it, it, you need to be wealthy. You need to find it in the stuff that you have. Okay? And this was a result of being godly. If you were godly, this is what was going to happen. Then you'd be content because you'd have all this stuff and you'd have everything you want. In the essence, it means to be satisfied with only what, the, what they already had. What they're saying is you can only be satisfied with what you, what you can get. Yet this word contentment that Paul actually uses here, Paul uses this word that what it does, it actually expresses this notion of self-sufficiency, okay? It's totally being self-efficient. It's really meaning this detachment from things or for anything outside or possessions. There's a total detachment. You don't need any of that. In essence, what he's saying is it means to be satisfied. You can be satisfied no matter where you are with what you have. Okay, what you already have, you can be satisfied. It's not a craving to have more. Essentially, for Paul, wealth and possessions actually don't fit into the equation at all. They don't fit in at all to, with contentment. Commentator Philip Towner says this. He says, Godliness is not about acquiring better and more material things. It is instead an active life of faith, a living out of covenant faithfulness in relation to God that finds sufficiency and contentment in Christ alone, wherever, what, whatever one's outward circumstances might be. So what Paul is doing here is he's actually removing, he's taking the financial implications of godliness, he's taking it out of this whole equation, okay? But these false teachers are saying it's all about that. He's taking it out completely. And when he's, what he essentially, what he's doing is he's telling us that wealth and possessions do not make you truly happy. That's what he's getting at. These things do not truly make you happy. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus even said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That goes so against our culture, doesn't it? That's so not the message that we hear. Now, Paul goes on in verse 7 to prove his point. He tells us that the reality is that we leave this world the same way that we came in. See this little cute little baby over here? This cute little baby, this little ball of pink flesh. Beautiful little baby. Because, because what? Oh, because he's sleeping. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 
that's the best kind, best kind, huh? That's how we're leaving. With nothing. That's what he's saying here. You listen, you can, you can say all this is about wealth and all the great, but in the reality, there's, there's nothing left. You can't take it. You can't take this stuff with you. He proves it in verse seven. He says, there's nothing that happens like that whole thing. It says, you can't take it with you. You can't. As helpless as this baby came into this world, that's how we are going to leave. You know, you sometimes hear people say, my uncle died a millionaire or, or my grandfather died a millionaire. Nobody dies a millionaire. Nobody. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. That's true. Have a... That's true. Okay, thanks, Dave. Thanks for the... Thanks. Thanks, thanks for the correction. We all die paupers. We do. We, have, we die with nothing. We leave it all behind. Now, in verse, verse 8, Peter tell, Paul tells us that when we are devoted to having an attitude and a life that is pleasing to God... He says, then we are able to be content with the lifestyle that provides for our basic needs. Does that make sense? That's part of the equation he's saying here, is when we're devoted to having this attitude that is pleased, that we want to please God with our life and with our thoughts, with everything, that's when we're able to have that true contentment with no matter what we have or don't have. He tells us that um, in, in this way, he tells us that when we're devoted, it's going to change our entire perspective on everything. And this is a tough one. We got to admit, this is a tough. We live in a very consumer, just driven society, don't we? Very materialistic society that we live in. That in this, our society tells us any commercial, turn on the TV today, you'll be bombarded with this, that, with commercials that tell you you deserve this because it will make you happier, right? We get that. We're bombarded with that all the time. And we see it on our own lives. We see our neighbors and our friends and our neighbors. We see what they have. And so often we feel like, I need to have that too. I gotta have, I really need to have that. To be truly content, we don't say that, but really think, because we get this sense of, ooh. That, of a discontentment because, wait a second, they have, ooh, I would really like to have, that's so natural, that's the society we live in. Turning everything off, killing everything. Oh, good, thank you, thank you. And I'll keep the water away from everything and all that stuff. Um, um, but according, what we're seeing according to these couple verses here is that true gain or true wealth is found in, he says, godliness and contentment. Those are the places it's found. Am I still on? Nope. Oh, okay, good. Thank you. So that's what he's saying here, okay? So let's look at the next couple of verses. In verses 9 and 10, in order to help us really to deal with this whole thing, this desire that we have to find our contentment in the things that we have and in money and our possessions, what Paul shows us first now is he's going to go on to some negative results of desiring wealth. Okay, some negative desires. It needs to be said, first of all, I want to say that as we talk negatively a little bit about uh, desiring wealth. Remember what desiring wealth, it's desiring it's because we're not content. First of all, there's nothing in the Bible that says that there's anything wrong with being rich or being wealthy. Nothing wrong with, absolutely nothing wrong with it. I know some phenomenally godly and wonderful, extremely wealthy people. So that's not, that's not the point here. He's addressing the desire to be wealthy. And when he says desire to be wealthy, he's referring to this lack of contentment with what we have and assuming that the more that we get, 
then we will be more content. Does that make sense? That's, that's what the desire. So when we talk about the desire to be wealthy through the rest of this passage, that's what Paul is getting at, assuming that if I have more, then I will be happy. Well, bless you. In verse 9, Paul describes, describes really um, this progression. Really, he, It's really a dangerous progression he's going to talk about here, or kind of a chain reaction that happens when a person desires wealth due to lack of contentment. Look at verse 9. He says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You see, what's happening here is Paul understands that sin is progressive. He knows that. He knows that where there's one sin present, there's more right on their tail. He knows this. that's how it works. They're not far behind. He knows that sin breeds sin. It, sin feeds off of itself. You ever had that happen in your own life? You find you start down this slippery slope kind of of sin, and you realize, oh my gosh, how did all this other stuff get in there? That's how sin works. So look at, look at this progression, look at this pr- progression and chain reaction. The first step he talks about is falling into temptation. This word temptation really has this, this, it's this sense of being lured in. When you think of temptation, that's the whole idea. It's to lure you and trying to invite you in. That's what temptation is. James, you, many of you are familiar with the verse. James chapter one, verses 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what this means is that the desire for wealth makes us susceptible to begin to believe or to do things or go places in our mind or even say things that we know are not right or that are go against biblical principles like pride and coveting things. You ever find yourself going, oh my gosh, I've really been craving that thing that they have because I feel like I'd be happier with it. It seems like no big deal. But that's where the slippery slope begins. And that's what Paul is saying here. We got to be careful. It's telling ourselves that like everybody else, we have the right to the things that we want. Isn't that the message of our society today? You have the right. You want it? Go get it. Go after it. And we know that that can lead to some dangerous, dangerous places. It's like seeing a friend's new car. No big deal. They got a new car. Or ladies, an outfit or something like that, that someone else has a new outfit. And we're thinking, I deserve that too. I really deserve to have that. See how it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal? But what that does is that can lead us to places that we start to telling ourselves things that are not along with the principles we're trying to live with that the Bible tells us. Temptation in itself is not wrong. Let's get that that off the table right now. Being tempted is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Yet temptation is the beginning of a lethal progression. And that is what Paul is trying to say here. Next step in this progression when desiring wealth is falling into a snare, or some of your versions say a trap. Once we, once we begin to desire wealth, what happens is we create this opportunity to be ensnared by that very desire. We think it's not a big deal. I just want that, and I really want that. I really got to have that, but I'll let that go. No, it, what it does, pretty soon there's a trap that we can get, that we can get stuck in. 
Because see, so what happens when we become obsessed with comparing ourselves with people out there that seem to have more than that are, they seem to be happier than me. That guy, that guy seems way more happier, and I bet it's the car. Or she, 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 she seems so much happier, and I bet it's because she can go afford and get her nails done and her hair done every two weeks. I know that's what it is. See that, see that trap that start, that starts happening? And we, and it's, I personally know people, good Christian people that are stuck in this trap. Cause that's a trap that I know that I've even been tempted to be in too. That if I only have those things, I will be happy. The reality is that the more you have, the more you are actually tied to the stuff you have. Or put another way, your possessions can easily begin to what? Possess you. And many of you know what that's like. Many of us know what it's like to get a possession, get an upgrade, get a new thing, and all of a sudden it's the focus. I'm sure you've got a new guitar, and you know, I don't want that thing to get... I remember when I got a new guitar, I was like, hey, get, you know, get a new car. I'm parking. I'm taking up three spaces. You know, that kind of thing. We just become obsessed with these kind of things. And this is pretty innocuous. These are no big deal. But that's where it starts to go. It starts to lead in that, that way. The next step in the progression, he says here, is falling into many, see what he says, senseless and harmless desires. Now, these, these are what he's saying here. These are desires that have gotten out of control. Okay, these are things that have really gone crazy. And notice what he says. You don't just go into a couple desires. He says that they are many. Because the idea is, as a person travels down this natural progression, it's like what Paul's saying. It's almost like this dam or this levee breaks. And all these desires that we never intended to have, never thought we would have, they can start to come, they can start to flood forward. See, that's how sin works. Sin doesn't just come with this massive sin and just, it starts slow and really small. And living in the wealthy place that we do, where people all around us have so much, you know that this, the enemy is using this to knock on our door on a regular, regular basis. You know, we can believe that, that, that the world or even God owes us something. You know, that we, we are owed this thing that we, we long for, we desire these things. Why don't I have these things? You've heard of that um, term called affluenza? Remember there was a court case where some the guy got off because affluenza? Affluenza, I looked this up. Look what it, the, the definition of affluenza is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. Isn't that crazy? And a guy got off from doing a crime because of the, he, they, they, the judge felt that he was suffering from this. It's, it's crazy. Our world is just crazy in that sense. But that's what he's saying here. These senseless and harmful desires, that's what happens. We can fall into feeling like, oh, this anxiety or all these negative emotions because it started off with us desiring more and not being content with what we had. This is dangerous, dangerous stuff. Well, we see here that these desires are senseless and harmful, he says. This means that this person, what happens is we can become really ignorant. We can, I don't know how smart we think we are, but we can become really ignorant to God's desires for our life and how to make decisions that will actually please him and things that will lead us to places that are ruin and destruction. We think so often. I've been in church a long time. I've been a Christian a long time, but the enemy knows that. So he's going to sneak in these areas and he's going to use this one 
big time in our lives for wealth. And I know a lot of you are sitting there saying, well, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We do have a lot. So this is this word. I like it says this word that he says here. Plunge refers to sinking down to the lowest part. What he's saying is basically what can happen is you can sink lower than you ever imagined morally, spiritually, in many ways. You can be absolutely devastated because of decisions that are made from being ensnared in these senseless desires that easily creep in that we feel like I'm immune to that when we really aren't. Many people have found themselves in the proverbial bottom due to wealth, desiring wealth, wanting wealth. I mean, I can think of all the stories out there. There's plenty out there where people, that was their desire to be wealthy and how that just destroyed their life. Um, remember, it's desired to have wealth because they were not content with what they had. All right, verse 10. Let's just keep going here. Verse 10, Paul gives us the final negative results of desiring wealth. He says, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now notice that not, it's not the, it's not the desiring for wealth or money in order to take care of our needs. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, oh, you want money to make sure your family's fed and you have a roof over your head. That's not what he's saying, he's saying at all. It says it's the love of money. It's the desire for more than we need. More than we have to have. It's saying that, remember that 10%. I just, I just need more. It's the love of money. You know, the world's misquoted this verse for centuries. You know, the money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. We need money. Money's a good thing. Money's a fine thing. Money's a wonderful, we raised that from you guys $10,000 to put in a sound system that's going in next week. That's a, money's a good thing. The love of money. It's feeling like I don't have enough. I'm not content. I need more. That is where the problem is. You see here, notice that it's not the desire. He says, first what he says is, he says, it's a root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is not the only root out there. It's not the only root of all kinds of evil. Think about it. Bitterness, envy, jealousy, pride, and so on. All these things, these are root causes of evils. And they're roots because why? It's because they go deep. They really go da- deep down. They're what cause us to do the things and say the things and think the things that we do that we know are destructive in our lives. And we all know that if we don't deal with the root cause, David's been helping me you know, understand, what is, it, what is it that grows? It's, always, it's encroaching on my house? Some kind of plant that you gave me? The... Okay. <laughs> there's, some, there's something, these bushes that are just encroaching on my house. And so he gave me this puller, and it actually, it's like a wrench. It's like a root wrench. And it just, it's the it's in order to pull the whole thing out. Because if I don't, what will happen? You've done that before. Pulled weeds and just pulled it off. It just, if you don't deal with the root, you're not dealing with the problem. We all know that if we don't deal with the root cause of an issue, we'll continue to deal with that issue constantly, no matter how much we address it, if we don't deal with the root issue. And and our society is all about that. Clean up your act. Look good on the outside. We do it as Christians too, don't we? I'm going to go, but I'm not going to share my deepest struggles. I don't want them to think I'm that broken. If we don't deal with the root problem of what's going on in our lives, and that's what he's saying about wealth. If we have this desire, we're always not satisfied. 
That's a root problem. That's not just some little thing, oh, it'll go away whenever. It's a root problem. It has to be dealt with just like a regular root. We know that. Well, in four separate parables, in order to give some examples of this, four separate parables told by Jesus, there's four different men whose lives end in complete, utter destruction, actually, um, due to their desires for wealth. And you've heard some of these in the Bible. The one is the rich young ruler, remember? He asked Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus knew his heart. He knew that his problem was that money. He knew that that's what his craving is. And he said, so he dealt, he went right for the root, didn't he? Sell all your stuff. Follow me. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Turned away from Jesus. Couldn't do it. Second one, the rich man heard the story where the, where he told the story about Lazarus, rich, rich, I mean, the rich man who neglects Lazarus, who's dying for some food, just some morsels from his table. He's like, get away, get away. And, and man ends up going to story. He ends up going to hell. And what does he want? What does he ask? St. Peter or, or whoever he asked to, will you just send, will you just send Lazarus just to dip his finger in some water and just give me a drop of water? Cause I'm dying in these flames here. That's a story. But the story is saying he's de- utter destruction. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Ends up committing suicide. Fourth one is uh, in, uh, in teaching one in uh, how one's life that doesn't consist of what we have in, in telling us it's not about what you have and it's not about your possession. Jesus tells this parable about this rich fool. Remember, he has all this money. He tears down his barns. He goes to build more. He just he just heaping on just me, me, me. He's cashing in every, he's just getting so much money, builds all these barns. And he's a rich fool that Jesus said, because he's deceiving himself into thinking that he can hoard all this money for himself, sit back and just, yeah, I'm just going to chill out the rest of my life. I'm going to enjoy my riches. This is good. I've created such a, such an incredible wealth and kingdom for myself. And look at, at the end of it in Luke uh, chapter 12, he says this, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, party. But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Look at that, all that hard work amassing all these riches just for me, for me, for me. And he ends up completely spiritually bankrupt. What's that? Yeah. Oh, exactly. You could, you could just, Ananias, same thing. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. We're giving everything. We're being sacrificial here. Nope. What happened? Drop dead. Now, there's a lot. This is, these are just, these are certain things out there that I'm not going to drop dead for being greedy. The message is the same. It's dangerous dangerous to let ourselves get caught in this mindset. You see, the desire for wealth, no matter how small, can have catastrophic consequences in a person's life. Yeah, let's talk about terms that hit a little closer to home. The second thing we notice in this verse from people that that are craving for wealth, they have wandered away from the faith. And this is probably the biggest one that I've seen the most in the Christian world. Um, the word craving here literally, I looked up, it literally means to reach out. It really means to stretch. It's basically like saying, just a little, little bit more. Just, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. If, if my car was just a little bit nicer, if I could afford new furniture for my home, then, oh my gosh, things would be so, it's just, it's just stretching and reaching for. 
for that stuff. He's saying, if I could just get a little bit more, I will be happy. But the results of thinking this way are dire. It leads, look what he says, to wandering from the faith. We're thinking, how could that happen? That's exactly how the progression works, though. How does it happen that I can just want something so bad and I start losing my faith? Because it can mean, it, and it doesn't have to mean like you're, you're, I would never abandon my faith. I'm still a believer. But really, the spectrum goes for everything for people that do abandon their faith. I've seen that happen too, to people that are just not experiencing just the joy of what they have. They can't enjoy just the life that they have because it's a constant comp- comparison game, constant wondering if I just, that stretch, I'm not asking for, I'm not a win, I don't want to even win a lottery, but just a little bit more. That's what he's saying here. That is this very attitude that can drive us into wandering away from the faith. Okay, third thing we see from this, if we see from the first is Paul's use of this very graphic language, actually, in order to describe what happens to a person that what has the love or the craving for wealth. He says that they pierce themselves with many pangs of grief. Here's another word I looked up. This word, this word pierced actually specifically means to put on a spit or to actually pierce or to wound something. So it's no small thing. He doesn't give us a specific way exactly how it wounds us. He doesn't say exactly how you get deeply wounded. I really believe that's intentional. You know, I think we can easily conclude that it's things such as emotional or personal torment, damaged relationships, destroyed relationships, even guilt or shame over what we've done in order to, in order to have this money. One thing I think that really battles those of many of us who have entered, uh, whenever that happens, middle age, one of the things that I believe is really difficult is um, disappointment that happens for a lot of middle-aged guys, especially the disappointment that happens when we find ourselves in a place that we have just worked so hard to get. And we've just got, just worked so hard to get everything. This is what I wanted. This is where I wanted to be. Only to find that where we are and the things that we have do not satisfy. This is a story that's told over and over again. It's even joked about by the guy with the medallion and driving the sports car. That ain't, there's, a, there's a reason why that is out there. Because it's true. It can be true if needing just that little bit more. That's what happens a lot of times. Now, it's this next section, we're not going to look at verses 11, 11 through 16 because where the Apostle Paul kind of talks to Timothy about how to personally be, to live a life of holiness as he's dealing with these false teachers. So we're going to step, drop down now to verses 17 through 19 where he kind of comes back then to the whole topic of wealth. And what he's going to do now, he's going to give us really a clear biblical perspective on wealth, okay? Here's the, here's the crux of this message. Paul's going to give us, here's what the, here's what biblical standard, how you should be looking at it. And he does this by showing us what godliness looks like for those who have been materially blessed. And you know who that is? Us. I don't need to go into the whole list for you guys about comparing what our, what it's like living here compared to living in so many other parts of the world. We don't need to do that because really the fact that, the fact that if you're able to go to Starbucks today after here, you're wealthy. We we are. We just we just really are. So we don't need to bang that drum. We all we all know that we are. So he's talking to us. This is to us. Let's look at verse 17 first. He says, 
As for the rich in this present age, us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, notice he doesn't condemn people that are rich. Now, okay, you rich people, <laughs> I got something to tell you because you're out of line here a little bit. No, he's not doing that at all. He's not condoning, condemning anybody who's rich or wealthy. But the first thing he's telling, telling us is to not be haughty or arrogant due to our wealth. You see, one of the things that wealth, that wealth does, it can cause people to think that they are better than other people. We've seen that before. You've probably seen very well, super uber wealthy people. You're like, oh man, that guy just, that guy just seems so arrogant. Because it's easy to happen. But we can do the same thing with what we got. I stepped up my car a little bit. Yeah, look at that junker you drive. <laughs> you know, it's easy. It's easy to, all of a sudden, I'm a little bit better because my house is a little bit bigger. Or I actually own a house and you only rent. You know, that we can, not that we would verbally say that, but I think it's easy for us to believe those things in our head. We think a lot of times just because someone owns nice things or they have a large bank account that they are somehow superior to those that don't. And our society feeds this mindset like crazy. You got a fat bank account, nice cars, you got all this stuff. You must be a little bit better. You must be working harder. You must be smarter. It can be, de- it can be deceiving. But remember, after addressing the rich young ruler, remember Jesus said this. He said, it is easy for, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Does that mean rich people don't go to heaven? No, that's not what that means at all. But what he's saying is he can easily deceive us into thinking, I've got wealth and this wealth has given me comfort. I don't need God. See that all the time. I know for me, the easier my life is, just the easier my day is, the less inclined I am to run to God. We've talked about that and the whole idea of suffering and all that. I really don't. I really see that's a power, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Wealth and comfort can blind us to our need for God. It can totally blind us. Can, doesn't always. All right. Secondly, he tells that, uh, he tells the wealthy to place their hope in God and not in the certainty, uncertainty of wealth. He says that our hope is to be, needs to be set on God who richly, I love this, richly provides us everything to enjoy. You know, we got to remember that everything we have, everything you have is from God. It comes from God. It's his gift. It's his gift for us to enjoy because he wants us to enjoy things. It's okay to enjoy these things. But it's easy to think, I earned it. It was my efforts. I did this. Now, yeah, grant, God granted you gifts and talents to be able to do that. But it was his favor that allowed those riches, that wealth, that talent, all to come to you. It's not of our own. Once again, see how the arrogance can really come forth. Truth is, God allows wealth to come. It comes from him. He is the one that gives it to us. The problem is, though, so often, we know this, but so often because of the corrupting sin, our corrupting sin nature, the very things that God has provided us to enjoy can begin to, begin to be the very things that we start to put our hope in, our joy in, our happiness in, and our contentment. See how that the fight, the struggle is there? It's always there waiting for us. So how do we keep from becoming arrogant? 
How do we keep from being conceited or with our wealth, being concerned about our wealth, and from setting our hope on uncertainty of riches? How do we keep from falling into temptation and into a snare and falling prey to senseless and harmful desires that plunge us into ruin? How do we experience true joy and contentment with all that we have, that all that we've been given, all that we've been blessed with? Well, he, the answer's found in these last two verses here. Verse 18, Paul tells us that wealthy, the wealthy are to express their faith and trust in God by giving generously. Oh no, the preacher's going to pass the plate. That's not where we're going with that. We're going to look at the biblical principle of how to be content with what we have here. Look at verse 18. He says, the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. What this essentially means is that outward display of a believer's authentic faith will be to generously give of their resources, their time, their talent, their treasures to benefit others in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. It means that we are to our outward display of our authentic faith as followers of Jesus will be to generously and sacrificially give of our resources, our time, our talent, and treasure to other people and God's kingdom. I love what Rick Warren, I read a quote by Rick Warren this week. It says this, Whenever you have a need, acknowledge your faith by planting a seed. In other words, take your focus off your need and look at ways you can provide for the needs of others, planting a seed in their lives. This isn't easy. It goes against our nature. It's totally illogical. If you're, if I'm out of money, I'm probably going to think, I can't give away any money. Or if I'm out of time, I'm probably not going to think, why should I spend more time on something else? Or if I don't have any energy in a relationship, I'm probably going to think, how can I give more energy away? Yet God says this is exactly what demonstrates faith. When you have a need, you plant a seed. God often works through this harvest principle. When you have a need, you give. And what you give away, God replenishes. What a great principle. A couple of verses that just came. I was thinking, I'm going to bombard these guys with verses. But they just meant so much. And that they co-align. It's in Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper wherever, well, whoever refreshes others will be, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I mean, given this idea, as Christians, we should be the most generous people on the planet. We should. Matthew 8, Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you have give, you have received what? Freely give, freely, joyfully, not like, you know what, I know I should. Oh, freely, because you're thinking about, oh my gosh, what I have been give, get, given. I mean, get personally involved in causes. Something pricks your heart, the Lord, the Holy Spirit says, that's a, that's a, investigate, go look at that. Tip large, if they deserve it. Tip, even if they don't. Tip, be it, be, don't be the Christians that they're, for the longest time, I remember back in the 70s and 80s, there was this big thing going around that Christians were known. You know, I had a friend that worked in the, in the food service industry. He said, oh yeah, it's, everybody knows that Christians are the worst tippers. I'm thinking to myself, how, how's that possible? Tip large. Wisely lend possessions 
and funds to those that are in need. Generously and freely give of your time, of your talent, and of your treasure. Generously. 2 Corinthians 9 backs this up. says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Great principle for what I should give financially. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, God, in his incredible favor towards us, will enable you and will enable me to give of our time and our talents and our treasures way beyond what we possibly could imagine. It's easy to sit there and go, okay, okay, works out. Okay, can't do that. Uh, maybe I could. No, that's not how we give. That's not how we give of our time and our talents and our money. We don't do it that way. We're smart, of course. But we say, no, this is what I I want to give. This, and this is what, and it doesn't always work on paper. Now, I can, I can speak from personal experience. It doesn't always work on paper. When you've committed to say, this is what I'm going to give, you're going to trust the Lord that he's going to take care of you. And he does every single time. It's great. Um, as though, so let's look at the results. Let's, look, let's finish this up. The results now of having this biblical perspective on wealth is found in our final verse. He says this. He says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as good as a good foundation for the future so that they may hold may take hold of that which is truly life. So the first result here that we have of seeing the things that, that we do now is having, I'm sorry, things that we've, first thing that we see here is that we have an eternal impact, okay? It says storing up our treasures for themselves, okay? The first result is having an impact for eternity. Matthew 6, 19 says this, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, our treasure in heaven is the impact that or the results of the way that we have lived out our faith now. That's what our treasure in heaven is. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn God's approval by giving of our wealth and of our time but we demonstrate our godliness. You want to know if you're a godly person? One way is how you use what you've been given. How do you use what you've been given? How do you use the money that you make? How do you use the resources all around you that you have? How do you use your time to serve others and for God's kingdom? That is a great indicator of where your life is spiritually. Our treasure in heaven is an impact on the results. We don't earn our salvation. That's what's so nice to know. Second thing, giving generously of our wealth is actually a way of experience, the essence of eternal life now. It's, it's knowing the abundant life that God has for us now here on earth. Last quote, I have Pastor Ray Stedman, who used to pastor down the peninsula. He said this, to use your money properly, and I would add your time and your talents as well, says, as God gave it, to enjoy it to the fullest degree and thus use it to bless others, others' lives, is to experience the excitement and adventure of a life that Christ, Jesus Christ has come to give. So 
With this perspective on wealth and possessions, I want to challenge and just encourage us um, just with a couple things here. First, I would say as God, I would say ask God to give you his perspective on your finances. Ask God to give you, God, give me a biblical perspective on everything that you have given me. Second thing, I would say confess any desire that you have to have more than you need to be fully content. Are there things that you're longing for? Are you doing that 10% thing? You're just 10% more. Lastly, as you pursue a deeper walk with God, listen to how the, what, listen to the Holy Spirit of God, how he may be directing you to generously and sacrificially invest in eternity with your wealth, with your possessions and your time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you how your word convicts, how it teaches, how it shows us how wonderful you are. And Father, I pray now as we go into a time of communion, God, that you would really show us, continue to show us by your spirit what it means to relinquish ourselves to you and to let our lives be completely yours. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have the